Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be talking about the OKC Thunder Memphis Grizzlies game and just kind of who dominated in this one. And this is trade deadline day so I'm not going to lie. I think for most of you this is probably going to be an episode that may not be as enticing and I totally get it. You know me pretty much my one of my favorite days like ever since I could remember at least for the NBA landscape was just waiting for trades to come out and to see if you know the Oklahoma City Thunder made any sort of splashes. I get it and I know this game might seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things because really it is. I think how Sam Presti performs today I guess because I am going to be uploading this day is going to kind of mean a lot. So I think what I'm going to do here is I'm going to have two separate episodes for today and maybe you got to you got to kind of play this by ear because I can't make any promises but the hope is I'm going to get this to you guys in the morning because I'm currently recording this at 11:34 in the p.m. so I'm going to get this out you guys are going to be able to hear it in the morning. I know that you guys enjoyed that whenever I was able to get it up to you guys like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. It was kind of wild having to do that. Um I literally would stay up. I would make game recaps on my website. You guys probably already know this, but it's Kyle Singler for MVP.com. I'd fill it out there and then I'd go to do my podcast. And the way my setup was working, I'd actually have to go do it in like a garage, like my garage. And it was so cold. So I'd get done with that. I'd have to move it from laptop, edit it all, post it. It'd be like three in the morning and I'd have school in a little bit. So schedule was really tight whenever I was doing it that way. I've kind of eased up just a little bit on that front. So, you know, I'm going to try to keep this up if I can. You know, whenever we have some of these early games, you guys probably should be on the lookout for some morning episodes. But I think it works for today. And then you kind of see what happens with the trade deadline. I wanted to do some sort of locker room app thing if you guys don't know what that is it's kind of like just live radio but on a phone app and just talk about sports i was thinking of doing that but you know Woj has his own kind of trade deadline special on espn i think you guys probably would want to listen to that and i do not blame you at all if you'd want to i kind of do as well so i think that's kind of the primary thing maybe after i'll do a whole entire emergency podcast recap on all the moves not just for us but the whole entire nba and then maybe i might just leave it towards tomorrow i may lean towards that depending on what goes on because I know you know I'm gonna be having to do articles on all these different segments maybe I might have to push it out until the later hours but I'm gonna try to get it out for you guys so just keep on the lookout sorry for rambling for the first three minutes of this thing I know I promised I'd talk about the uh the game here but you know you guys are just in time because I was originally just gonna start out um recording this and a trade notification came in trade season has kind of started here as we approach what like 15 hours remaining until trades are going to be set in stone and the first deal kind of just a pebble here but it gets it started delon wright he ended up getting traded from the detroit pistons to sacramento for Corey joseph and two second round picks that's going to be the king's 2021 second round pick as well as their own 2024 second round pick and I feel like I rephrased, I need to rephrase that. That 2021 second, it's going to be from the Lakers. So it's not going to be that valuable. Anyways, 
I actually think that's kind of cool because, you know, at one point, you know who the Philadelphia 76ers were interested in? Two names, George Hill and DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright is off the board. George Hill has moved up as some of, like one of the best veterans you can get right now at the point guard position. So I think his value is only going to continue to shoot up now that there's not a bidding war between two people. You can't leverage and say, oh, I can get DeLon Wright for this price. That's out the window. So I actually think Presty should be pretty excited about this. And, you know, the fact that Detroit got two second round picks out of this, I know that the 2021 Lakers pick probably won't be that valuable, but it's kind of just gives you that baseline. You know, we're not going to get a decent point guard in a return for George Hill, most likely. Probably just going to be picks. So maybe you can get two seconds, but I don't want to ramble about that. I know you guys want to talk, want me to talk about the game. And if any trades pop up in the middle of this podcast, I'll actually try to give you my live reactions. Hopefully I can cut it in there. But it's just kind of one of those days, one of those weird days in the NBA where stuff like that is constantly changing. And I just want to give you live reactions. Don't really want to hold off. So entering this game, you got OKC, you got the Memphis Grizzlies, and Memphis, they're 20 and 20. Oklahoma City, they are 19 and 24. Kind of deadlocked with the New Orleans Pelicans. And SGA. He is out with plantar fasciitis, and that is an injury that will take you like three weeks minimum, and you can't really gauge set in stone how long he's going to be out because it's just an aggravation of the plantar fascia, like bottom of your foot or whatever, and it's not a tear, which is good, you know, nothing like that. If it was like that, it'd be a lot more serious. I think Al Jefferson completely tore his, like a while ago he might have been playing in charlotte when it happened but i don't think we have to worry about that i think it's just an aggravation and mark dagnall talked about it he was pretty much saying that you know i actually did a whole entire article here so i don't know why i'm trying to go just rambling on about it but pretty much his point was you know the rest that he had prior in the weeks they were actually just for like load management purposes this was something that he kind of thought was just an accumulation of injuries. And I guess just a lot of wear and tear to his foot. You know, he's bouncing all over the place, driving inside. And now look, he's got an injury and it's not one of those day-to-day things. Plantar fasciitis, that's going to get you out for weeks. And with the Thunder really trying to make sure everyone's at 100%, I feel like they would take the long route with Shea. So he could be out for... Uh, maybe the whole entire season. I don't want to go there yet, and we're going to get more information later on, but ballpark, he's probably missing the majority of the season, so you better get used to seeing some of these other names in like Teo, Ty Jerome, unless they get moved, but I don't know, man. I'm not sure if they're going to get moved. Anyways, Shea wasn't playing. He didn't have Baisley. Al Horford was back, which was kind of interesting because you'd kind of imagine he would be out if he was in the trade market still. Maybe they just decided... His contract was too difficult to offload, so he stuck around. You uh, you also were able to have Lou Dort there. You had Maladone. Obviously, Pogachevsky, he's going to be playing big minutes for you, and he's just continued to start. And you still got Isaiah Roby, too. He ended up changing his haircut up a little bit. He uh, decided he was not going to keep that curly hair going. He kind of put it around in like a bun, almost got it braided. So you get this game going anyways, and... Oklahoma City, they kind of struggled to produce without Shea. They started 4 of 12 in this game, only had 9 points, but it was good enough because the Memphis Grizzlies, they only had 8 points. They were 4 of 10, not much offense going on through the first 4 minutes 
and 30 seconds. But then you started to kind of see teams getting their motions. Now, started with Grayson Allen and Dylan Brooks. Grayson Allen, he's a three-point master. Dylan Brooks, he's so good at flailing his arms around. He gets foul calls all the time. So Dylan Brooks gets four free throws, and uh, Grayson Allen makes two threes. So that's a 10-0 run going in Memphis's favor. They start kind of trying to get a double-digit lead going on. But then the Thunder, they came right back because they brought Moses Brown in off the bench, and nobody could stop him dump it down low he's gonna make you pay he's always in the right spot and becomes a major threat when it comes to setting screens because he's way too damn fast for some of the guys that memphis has especially when jaron jackson jr is not playing for them so they were able to actually just not this game back up it was 21 and 21 and to end the quarter memphis they scored the last five so it's 26 to 21 through one not really that bad, and Oklahoma City, they did a great job passing the basketball around. Six out of the nine first quarter shots came assisted, but their two of ten shooting from three really was what hurt them. Also, Memphis just got to the line way too much. Shot nine attempts, made seven of those. I think they had six more than the Thunder. I think they only made one free throw in the first. But anyways, moving into that second quarter, the Thunder, they started looking at that second unit. They had the breakfast club, kind of got disassembled whenever Diallo was gone. Roby's a starter now. But you got some new guys entering the rotation in the second unit. And, it, you know, they're kind of assuming that role and taking it with flying colors. So they move right in and they were able to get the lead just three minutes into this period. And head coach Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies, he had to call a timeout just under the eight minute mark in this game because Moses Brown was unstoppable at this point in the game he already had nine points that was the game high Jonas Valanciunas was on him he couldn't handle him Justice Winslow had to switch on him into like some sort of role play it was an and one two-handed throw down so he gets it to go he's going to the line that's when he calls that timeout and I'm pretty sure that whole entire thing was them just yelling like, you know, how is Moses Brown able to do this? It's because he's really good. And some of these teams just don't know that yet. They'll soon find out though. So they were able to kind of restrain him. They gave him the G League treatment where you try to double him and just close him off of everything, seal him off whenever he gets down baseline. That's a smart move, but it also means other players are going to get wide open for shots. So that's what started happening. Pokachevsky, he had five straight points immediately after this timeout happened and you know they kind of kept looking for those other options and they were leading as high as eight points in the second ended up dropping down to six they were up 53 to 47 but i would still say by all accounts that was a pretty good showing by them and moses brown my oh my this is a guy who i think has kind of just come in all at once like no one really knew who he was before march and now he's just emerging like crazy and i've seen trailblazers fans all pissed off that they didn't hold on to him you know it's one of those things where it's like watching him play in the g league he plays exactly like he did and it's it's wild to think that you can kind of go from the g league as a center and still perform at that same high clip so he had a double double in the first half and i believe nick gallo said that was the third quickest double double in Oklahoma City Thunder franchise history. It only took him 14 minutes to get 10 rebounds and 10 points. And Al Horford was right behind him. He had more points. He had 11. And he had 6 assists and 6 rebounds. Now the assist column is what you need to look at. 
Oklahoma City won that 15 to 5 through that first half. Al Horford just he he outnumbered them alone. A center who has come off of like being off a week. This guy was coming off a vacation. He's 34 years old and he's getting more assists than your whole entire team. You got to kind of evaluate yourselves here and you got to think, damn, we are lucky we're only down six points. So they kind of had some issues they need to to fix up if they wanted to have any chance in this game. And start out the third, it did not look like that. Alexei Pogachevsky, he made another nod to get on the Sports Center top 10. He has just been a social media star. It kind of comes natural to him. You see him do behind the back passes. He did like three in this game just for like no reason. Likes being extra, but he ends up getting a steal on one play, goes down for a layup. It's good to go. Next play, he is sitting right corner with his matchup. There is a cross-court pass over. This guy gets out his right arm. He catches the basketball like it's a freaking baseball. Like, there was no blowback whenever he's, he just snags it midair, grips the basketball, and it's not like his arm's fla- flailing back. No, he just grabs it, and he just starts driving up the court. He goes from that right corner goes past everybody, all nine other players, and he has a clear path to the rack. He's coming in left wing, and this guy puts on a Michael Jordan impression. He's like one step in from the free throw line. Looks like the Jumpman logo. He's just completely sprawled out midair, and he punched it down. So you already know Taylor Jenkins was pissed off again. He had to call a timeout, and the Thunder bench, they were going wild. I didn't see it. I probably, you know, might need to look back on this. But you remember when Pokachevsky started breaking out some random dance moves on the sidelines? I kind of wonder if the Thunder bench would have started to do that too. Because I heard that entering the halftime tunnel, Shea and Baisley were dancing. You know, that that was the moment to start dancing. That was the best play of the night. And it was not even close. So Pokachevsky, he kind of gets in a rhythm. You get the timeout in for the Grizzlies. And then you kind of start trying to work back at the lead. I mean, off that Poku, the Poku sets of plays, they had an 8-0 streak in that span. I think the Grizzlies had like three, four, maybe even five turnovers. It was slow, so sloppy for them. So they needed to establish kind of some playmaking if they wouldn't have any shot in, in that, not just that period, but in general. And they did. They didn't turn the ball over nearly as much, like hardly at all. They started out with an 18-2 run, so they already take that lead back, but they want to continue to build on that, so they keep shooting at a high clip. Thunder, they are just ice cold. They were really just making offense out of their defense, and since the defense wasn't working, neither was the offense. So the Grizzlies ended up finishing the quarter on a 31-12 run. They shot 65%. In that run of theirs, they shot 15 of 23. And Oklahoma City, they just couldn't buy a bucket. They shot 19% in that time, 3 of 16. So, just complete change of scenery here. Grizzlies are now up 9 points entering the fourth. They're up 82 to 73. Oklahoma City, they got a mountain to climb. And without Shea, you got to find a first option. And you just got to wait and see if anyone kind of surfaces here. And... You know, they did have times where they looked good. Kendrick Williams had five straight points for the Thunder, and they were actually battling neck and neck for the majority of the quarter. I think they, yeah. I mean, they actually just tied in that frame. It was 34-34, to and 
I thought they looked good, but obviously when you're down nine points, you can't just kind of match them shot for shot. So they end up losing the game 116 to 107. Oklahoma City with the loss, they are now 19 and 25. You will be happy to know, some of you will be happy to know, they are now off the tiebreaker with the New Orleans Pelicans. And for the Grizzlies, if you're a Grizzlies fan, listen to this. They have gotten above the 500 mark, 21 and 20. So I guess it's kind of smiles all around here almost. If you're in that party where you want the Thunder to kind of drop down a little bit in the standings, there you go. And, you know, I thought this was a perfect game given the circumstances. Like Shea's not there. It's kind of on short notice. Dagnall found out about it literally this morning or I guess yesterday in the morning. So, Everyone kind of needed to play their part, and they played a solid, you know, three and a half quarters here against the Memphis Grizzlies. If it wasn't for that major run that they had in the third, the Thunder were actually going to win this game despite not having Shea, and they keep managing to kind of just work around everybody. They are so professional. The chemistry, it's got to be ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know how you're able to play so well making it seem like, you know, Shea was never on your roster. Like, he's your number one option. He drives in so much. He really just orchestrates everything. You take him out, and you find other players who can, you know, service that role. And it starts with, you know, the obvious guys, like your your typical starters and, like, the Horfords and the Dorts and all that. But how about the young guys, like Alexei Pokachevsky, Roby, Williams, Brown... Maladone, Jerome might have repeated them a couple times, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not just the starters. It's really the bench that has held this group together and why they are actually close to the play-in tournament, despite them probably, or the fan base, probably not even wanting that to be happening right now. It's because of how glued in this roster has kind of become and the exceptional player development that we have going on in Oklahoma City. So when it came down to the game, I thought they thundered. They did a pretty good job. The one kind of slip up was Dylan Brooks. He always seems to do well against the Thunder. This was no different. He had 25 points on 8 of 13 shooting, and he got to line 9 times, sinking 8 of those. I told you, this guy's a foul magnet. I don't know how he does it, but he always finds a way to get up there. Outside of that, Grayson Allen was pretty good too. Um, You know, he has actually really improved. Shot four of nine from three, and he was kind of just that that spear that they needed, you know, really in the mid range and from outside. He even had like a right handed dunk. He does have some pretty good hops. He just doesn't really show it off that much. And then outside of that, you kind of just tank a little bit in production. I thought they did a great job, kind of silencing John Morant. He only had eleven points in thirty one minutes. Shot five of fourteen. And then Jonas Valanciunas. I he I mean he had sixteen points and fifteen rebounds. But he was not the best center in this game. He probably was not even the second best center in this game. So, you know, they get the W there. I think it really helped out that they were shooting so well from the free throw line. Shot 11 of 13. And then also from three, they were really good. They shot 37% while Oklahoma City, they shot 29%. And, you know, they shot 35 times. Thunder did. Grizzlies only shot 30 and even when you're looking at it, you know, just in general, OKC shot better inside, but it, it was not going to help out enough. So, yeah, that, that's kind of why they got the W there, but there were so many great moments from this Thunder team. Um, 
on Wednesday. And you got to start by actually looking at the bench. Moses Brown was the best Thunder player. And this is not the first time. I'm saying it like it's a surprise. But you might just start getting used to it. Because they just can't find ways to stop him. He is so unique. And I I forgot if it was Michael Cage or Chris Fisher who was saying this. But he was just going into how tall he is. And then he kind of just stopped. It was like, he's seven foot two, He's tall. And then that's kind of just it. I think what he meant to go on and say, obviously I'm kind of taking that out of context. There's definitely more to it than him just calling him tall. And that's why he's playing so well. I think he was probably going in the direction. He's probably different as a player seven foot two. I don't know any other seven foot two guys in the league who are as fast as he is, who has crazy long arms like he does, seven foot four wingspan or something wild like that. So, I mean, he's like a human pogo stick. And the fact that he's over seven feet tall makes it even crazier. So, yeah, I mean, I tweeted this out. I was like, this guy's a my career player almost. This is a guy that you build, you make in like a lab, and then you just dominate, you know, in your fake NBA league where you go for 50 points, 20 rebounds, go to the park and just screw over little kids who are on point guards. Yeah, that's what Moses Brown has kind of turned into. Whenever you match him up against a guy like six, seven inches shorter, he's going to kill them. And he's like faster. You know, when he gets to his top speed, he's going to go faster than the opposing guards if they're going at 90%. So he's very special. And because of that, he almost got another historic game. He led the team with 19 points. 7 of 9 field goal shooting, and then he had 12 rebounds to go along with that. So I told you about how he had that major double-double in the first 14 minutes. They kind of toned him down a little bit. I think partially it's due to Jenkins kind of game planning around him for that second half, but he was closed off. He didn't take a lot of shots, but tell you what, you give me Valanciunas or Brown from that game, I'm taking Brown pretty much every time, and... You know, it's because he's kind of able to wreak havoc. And I would say, you know, there is kind of a hole in his game that was abused. And it comes to floaters, runners, whatever. Whenever someone sets a high ball screen, there's always going to be that major gap for the guard. Because he just doesn't cover it. And, you know, even if he tries to step up, typically he's not jumping up for the ball anyway. So it's kind of like a practice shot, you know. Shoot around drills for these guys when they come off the high ball screens. I think that's something he needs to work on. Maybe you hedge. But he hasn't really been doing that. Luckily, it hasn't been as bad as, you know, like when Al Horford was just not trying on those. At least Brown's kind of stepping up and making his presence known. But it's not really infecting the shots that much. So that's his only downfall. But outside of that, I've been loving what I'm seeing. I think it was damn near a perfect game from him, from him again. He just gets the basketball down low. He gets exactly where he needs to be. And when he's so quick, when it comes to getting to that rack, you really don't have a chance as a guard to move over on him and try to reject him. It's just not going to work out. And, you know, if you do get over to him, you're not going to be hitting the ball. You're going to be hitting his wrist. And, you know, he'll go to the free throw line. He's not the best free throw shooter, but um, I think for a center, you know, he's about average. So a trip to the line for him, he's probably going to split the free throws. Probably give him a little bit higher than that. He shot five for nine on the game. Yeah, that was the, that was the team high too. So that's wild. But yeah, he's able to get to the line. If not, he's just gonna he's just gonna throw it down. So you, you're kind of forced to foul him all the time, honestly. Unless you're doubling, and that's kind of where you get into trouble. But you didn't really see it all that much. So I've been loving what I've been seeing from my man Moses Brown. Is he the center of the future? 
That's something I've heard thrown up. Might have to do just a separate podcast on that. It's a good discussion. I think you can definitely get a good argument on on both sides of that. But, you know, you also had another good center, the starting center, who pieced together a pretty nice game. He did have a bad second half, or pretty quiet one at least. Finished with 13 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal, and a block. He gives it all to you. And as I kind of hinted at, him playing, it almost signals that he's off the trade market and it's been established he's going to stick around for the remainder of the season. I would understand why a market wouldn't circulate. Or if there was one, you'd have to pay a lot of money or just some draft draft compensation for it. I feel like teams would probably be paying for you know one of those 19 firsts or whatever ludicrous number it is. So I think Presti just didn't want to give him up, having to give up real assets. So he may just be sticking around. If he gets traded, that's going to be a shocker because it's like, you know, typically you're just going to hold out on him. He hasn't played in like a week. You'd think this would just be an easy, let's leave him out and continue negotiations. But maybe they ran dry with that contract. Of course, there's not really that many people who can take him on in the first place. So he played. He was pretty good. You also had Lou Dort. You know, this wasn't another 20-point outing or anything, but I thought he was pretty pretty nice. Came to penetrate inside. He looked amazing. He shot 5 of 10 from there, but when he worked from 3, it wasn't going for him. He shot 1 of 7, and that's kind of just the thing with Dort. Consistency is always something that you kind of put a question mark on every single game, but it is what it is, and I think he made up for it with his, def- well, like his defense. Yeah, this is one of those nights where you're not seeing him glowing in the advanced box score. He probably is, but just this simple one. He looks great. He had three steals and two blocks in just 31 minutes of play. And then you had Pokacheski still as a starter. He looked great. Only He shot five of five of eight. And that, that's a lot higher than what you normally see from him. One of three from downtown, but pretty good from him. So he got 13 points, three rebounds five assists that almost led the team Horford was ultimately the leader there and then he had that block they didn't register his little steal he didn't you know whenever he just clawed the basketball out of midair they didn't actually consider that a steal maybe you know someone messed up on that end but it definitely looked like a steal to me some sort of deflection I don't know who gets credit in that situation but definitely resulted in that dunk so that's really what matters here. So I loved what I saw from Pokachevsky. Maladone, 10 points, really rocky to start out the game. Finished on 4 of 14 shootings. Not amazing numbers, but he was 2 of 5 from 3. So right about where you would want to see him. When you look at that bench, already told you about Moses Brown. He was the best player in general, you know, second unit or not. And then you had the remaining three, because he only had a nine-man rotation. The other three still got double digits, and only one guy didn't get double digits. That was Roby who had nine. So this was one of those kind of rare games where everybody was spreading the love around. So Kenner Williams, he had 11 points on five of six shooting, showed exactly what he needed for contenders to be drooling all over him. We already know that people are going to be sending over offers and with all these just random speculation, you know, whether it's like second round pick minimum or you saw Zach Lowe whenever he was on with Wojnarowski, on ESPN, he he projected Javon Carter and two second round picks for him. And we don't know the true value, but we know that there's some there. And whenever he finishes maybe his last Thunder game like that, you know that there's going to be someone trying to at least make a phone call tomorrow about him. And then you also had Ty Jerome. 
he might be getting phone calls. I don't know if we want to move him. 23 years old, so he still fits that timeline. But he shot four of nine and three of seven from downtown. He continues to kind of be the main three-point shooter for this roster, and I'm totally loving it. He also had three rebounds and three assists to go along with everything too. So another pretty uniform game from him. He gives you a little bit of everything. And then last dude on the list is Shvi. And look at me. I almost can't read here because he didn't get double digits. He was right outside of that. He had seven points on three of 10 shooting and he was one of six from three. So this was not his greatest game from distance at all. If he was making those, he would have been in double digits, but he was wide open and you can't really, you know, be all that mad that he missed. I think he might have airballed one of those shots too, but eh, you know, he gave us some good double digit performances in the last two. We'll give him a little bit of a rest here get him ready for our next contest but what he did give you was steals again and he had two steals in the last game and I was kind of emphasizing that like whoa he can actually play defense yeah he seriously can he can play defense at the two or three position and you know he's kind of making the Grizzlies have second thoughts about everything so when it came to the final stats Thunder had 13 steals that's pretty wild somehow the Grizzlies were able to come back from this they had 12 so they were almost tied in that. But to start out that third quarter, they had to rattle off at least five of those bad boys. Like every possession when the Grizzlies were giving up that 8-0 run, it was pretty much coming off a steal or at least some disturbance on the defensive end to where, you know, they couldn't re even really set up a half-court offense without something going awry. So yeah, I thought they thundered. They were great and they didn't get the W. But as mentioned, I think some people are actually pretty excited about that that idea right there that you know we did lose but we were still competitive especially whenever we didn't have our best player I think something that did hurt even though when it comes to how many assists we had we had 26 so it's actually higher than what we've seen but we didn't have as many drives and we don't have this point Diallo anymore we don't have that number one penetrator the basket whenever you don't have SGA and Baisley he actually was kind of thought of as that secondary playmaker. I stated that before the season started, I think through the season, whenever he's been healthy, I've kind of said that, you know, I've always kind of said, you know, this is going to be the game where he breaks out as this point forward at the power forward spot. And he has broken out, but he hasn't kind of remained in that place yet. With a guy like Shea out long-term, Baisley probably will have that opportunity once he comes back from a shoulder contusion. But you know, we don't have him, so he can't be that playmaker. So you rule out really those two main guys since Diallo's gone, really your third. George Hill's gone, you know, probably, you know, he's injured, but he probably is gone too, let's just be honest. And now you're left with all these kind of players who aren't really accustomed to point guard. Maladon, he is a true point guard, and he played in France, but he's not an isolation guy. He is a, let's set a screen, let's run a traditional offense, and let's kind of work out the wrinkles from there and he does a really nice job at doing that and Ty Jerome you know I, I forgot to mention he's more of a combo guard but I'd probably still say he's like a point guard anyways he's kind of more the same you don't have the isolation players that you're really used to seeing on the roster so they were able to kind of change their style of play to end up getting a lot of points off of turnovers and just missed opportunities from them so that you know you didn't have to really run a ton of isolations and as mentioned, I mean, they used Moses Brown in perfection here. When you don't have Shea, someone who starts their own offense, you start you start your offense through simple plays like just a simple screen. 
Set a screen, roll the basket, I'll find you, don't worry, and even not in a screen. You're just kind of coasting through the lane, and you're just looking over, side-eye, see what Moses Brown's doing. If you find him open, you dish it to him. He's right under the basket. He's going to be able to hammer it down. And even without that, when you don't, when you don't have Shea, typically you have more cuts. So you see a lot more backdoor cuts, and you actually see a lot more plays where People are getting the reps in on isolations, and the success rate wasn't that amazing. I think Isaiah Roby, this is probably one of his tougher games of the year. I didn't go into it, but he shot 3 of 11, and, you know, he always seems to make it turn around somehow. He had three steals and a block with it, but offensively, he just seemed to be struggling. He had the wide-open shots. He was kind of matched up on some, I'd say, players who... I think he honestly could have ran through. Kyle Anderson's a pretty good defender, but he actually was kind of leaving him open. Uh, Roby, that was, you know, for a good amount of the time there. So he was able to get open off of like step backs and just get into the rack, but he was not able to finish it off. And, um, you know, I just think that that's something we kind of got to work on here. But it's nice that they were able to get that time. I think this is probably the largest role Isaiah Roby has had to actually kind of work as a playmaker. Normally, you just see him as a pick-and-pop specialist, and he'll drive in a couple times. He was actually forced into something like a Darius Basie would see. So, I really liked it. I think that, you know, just as everyone else says, this was an ideal game. Almost, if you're of this mindset, that we need to be getting better picks. And who does not want better picks? I think with Shea out for long-term, that's probably where the Thunder will be shifting. That's probably where a lot of our minds will be shifting. We'll be looking at Moses Brown, Pokachevsky, Maladone, just the young guys, see how they perform. You don't wish for someone to lose, but you know when you have high stakes, such as getting a top player in an upcoming draft, it does make a little bit of sense to be wishing it. And you don't really convey it that way because ultimately you're going to be happy whichever way you know the Thunder team goes win or loss but you got two different kind of crossroads here and I think either one I'd be happy with but you know sprucing up those picks while Shea is gone may not be that bad of an idea but anyways that's kind of the current state of things in terms of this game I know that the trade deadline is going to be a big big deal it's not just me that's going to be doing a podcast on this I feel like every other podcast out there is probably going to be doing some sort of trade deadline special if you guys want me to do it for the whole entire league I gladly will typically I just make this a thunder podcast thunder slash okc blue podcast whenever they were playing but um yeah I think this is kind of one of those unique times in the year where it does kind of feel appropriate to be talking about just the league in general because I do think the trade deadline really does mean something and it could have some real ramifications to the season the Thunder has down the line so I'll make sure to keep you updated with this I'm actually kind of surprised it didn't get any Woj bomb a Sham I don't even know what his catchphrase would be but I'm surprised it didn't get any notifications only deal I got was about um DeLon Wright Corey Joseph and those two second round picks and you know As of right now, I'm just going to project that we probably are going to end the trade deadline with like two, three, maybe even four players gone. If we go over that number, that's going to be wild. But yeah, that's just kind of my ballpark. Uh, I'll I'll make sure to keep it updated on my Twitter. If you guys want to follow that, you definitely can. It's always in the descriptions of my episodes. You kind of just got to click on the link. It'll take you right to me. 
and you can kind of check out what is going on over there. And if you want to see it in text form, or really just article form, you can check out my website. I hate to always plug it, but I got to do it. Kyle Singler for MVP.com. Pretty bad domain name. I, I thought it was funny when I made it. I still think it is, but you know, if I ever need one of those kind of business names, make sure to hit me up with some some OKC Thunder website names that sound cool. Definitely take it into consideration. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.